I was listening to another Telegram channel's live stream the other day, and they have like 30,000 members in there. It was so funny, the audio issues they were having. And so it made me feel a little bit better. <laughs> My audio issues aren't nearly as bad as that, but... um all right, that, we're recording in here, and I'm going to go live here on my other platforms. One second. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Linder. Today is a Freeform Friday. So happy Friday out there. Hope everyone is doing well. We are going to cover the personal consumption numbers that came out to PCE this morning uh, just a little bit. We're going to look at the markets and their reaction through a few tweets from people like Dylan LeClaire. We're going to look at one of his threads. We're going to look at Tom Luongo is out there talking about uh, or reacting to what's going on in the markets. And then just maybe a couple other interesting tweets. So that is the Freeform Friday for today. Afterwards, I'm going to stay on a couple minutes and see if uh, guys on Telegram want to uh, you know, talk a little longer. If, if you want to join the Telegram, it's t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Uh, I'm also... Transmit or broadcasting onto YouTube at BTC Market Update and on Twitter at Ansel Linder. So you guys can find me on all those channels. Okay, so let's get into the numbers that came out today. So what you're seeing here on the screen is Michael Leibowitz, a tweet from hit from him this morning. Michael Leibowitz, we've interviewed him on FedWatch, actually, a couple years back. He's an investment advisor type uh, with real investment advisors. So he has good stuff. They do a lot of uh, good writing and good charting and things. So anyways, he says, RIP Fed pivot, RIP no landing. And these were the numbers that were released this morning. Personal consumption is the second line. Oh, which am I looking at now? Personal consumption expenditures, the second line. Month over month, the prior was December, negative 0.2%, but there was a revision and it was revised less negative to negative 0.1%. The consensus for this month, because, you know, CPI has also, quote unquote, accelerated or re-accelerated in January. So they people were expecting the PCE to also re-accelerate. And so they were expecting a 1.2% month over month. That is huge, 1.2%. But the actual came in at 1.8%. I mean, this is an absolutely huge blowout number for the PCE, month over month of 1.8%. That is crazy, crazy. The core month over month came in at 0.6%, which is a reacceleration from last month at 0.3%. The year over year for core is 4.7%, 4.7%. And that's up from 4.4%. So the PCE continues to go higher. Of course, the market reacted to these numbers very, very negatively. Uh, people think that this means, you know, the Fed has to continue to raise rates uh, because the, they think prices equal inflation, right? Or prices equal money printing but they don't. Anyway, um, I responded to somebody's tweet this morning. They were showing that the two-year has now jumped back above the Fed funds target range. They're saying, no, that means the Fed has to keep raising. And my question is, 
I probably have said this a couple times on the show already now. If the Fed raising hasn't stopped what they're calling inflation and the Fed raising hasn't, you know, really hurt the market all that much, why would the Fed continue to do it? What makes people think that the Fed raising rates actually does anything? I don't know. Of course, I sound like a broken record, but these are questions that people just don't ask. I mean, the Fed hasn't been effective. So what makes people think that continuing to do the same thing is going to be effective? It's not. The market is going the way the market is going to go. And we have a chart here that's showing that the market is actually starting to come in line with some of my predictions for the end of the third quarter. So anyway, that's the numbers on that. Let's take a look at what Dylan is talking about over here. So uh, Dylan McClare, you know, he does the Bitcoin Magazine Pro newsletter, and he used to come on FedWatch all the time. Uh, but here is a thread from him this morning. He says, terminal Fed funds rate now priced at 5.4%. And that is a pretty big move here in the last, well, in the last day. Today has seen some really aggressive moves in money markets across the board. The September 2024 euro dollar futures implied rate has added another 25 basis points just today alone. Higher for longer is finally starting to get priced in. Someone tell the stock market. So higher for longer, um, maybe, maybe, but this is not behavior that we see at the bottoms, you know, when it's uh, a continuation. What I've said a lot recently is if we're at record levels, you know, if something is very high already, it doesn't mean that it's going to keep going in that direction. Most likely, if something's at record highs, it means it's really close to reversing. And this is the type of activity I would expect right before some sort of major reversal or a blow off top or something like that. I'm not saying it's going to happen right now. We could have another week of rising uh, of all these rates and spreads and stuff rising. And then we get some sort of reversal. Uh, but this isn't acting like a something that's sustainable. Obviously, we all know that this is not sustainable the way this is behaving. So anyway, let's continue down here. He says, great chart from my friend Joe Consorti. And actually, that's who I replied to this morning. Uh, showing the change in the expected path for the FFR in October, December, and today. All right. That's what he has to say. And then he also did a tweet about Bitcoin. And let me pull up this chart and I'll share this to Telegram. So this chart is showing the Bitcoin price coming down. Is showing momentum, MACD here pretty much, crossing back over. Uh, and also this the RSI down here at the bottom. So these are pretty much the things that I'm using. I use these indicators a lot. And the RSI, man, this looks really bad. We have a higher high in price, but we have a lower high in the RSI that didn't even get to oversold. I mean, usually when it touches 50, that means it's reset and the the divergences don't really matter as much. So we could have some divergences here. If you go back in November, we have some divergences on the, the bullish side. Then we have divergences on the bearish side at the top. And this would be a massive bearish divergence, but it didn't get oversold and it already had reset to 50. So I, I'm not really counting that. Um, I don't think that's going to have any effect uh, or it's not saying what people think it's saying. 
But anyway, that's what's going on uh, on this chart. And let me bring up my charts now. So let me share this tab. Pretty bad day for Bitcoin, down to 23,075 right now. But you can see we're getting close to the 50-day moving average. And I talked about that uh, on Monday, I believe, that the 50-day moving average you know, was down there. We can still hit the 50-day moving average, which would be healthy to test that uh, after we've been above it now. We can test the 50-day moving average without making a new low. It does look bad, but it's not nearly the end of the world. Obviously, the bears will jump on this. People are going to jump on this big time. People's sentiment is going to get shifted back to being on the bearish side. But so far right now on this chart, this is not looking all that bad. Let's take a look at what's going on in the stock market because it's so correlated. So the stock market is down 1.5%. It has dropped back below the 50-day moving average, which it was holding up there for a couple days. But it, it has stopped short so far of the 200-day moving average. If we look at things like the NASDAQ, it's still above its 200-day moving average, above the 50-day. There has not been a golden cross yet in the NASDAQ, so people are waiting for that. But the S&P 500, that's the one I like to look at, especially for Bitcoin, the correlation there with Bitcoin. And it doesn't, I mean, it's bad, okay? It's bad. But if you were to read the headlines, I mean, it's the end of the world. If you were to look at those Dylan LeClaire tweets with the rates blowing out, like they are, you would think it's the end of the world. You would think we we were crashing to, you know, through the floor. But of course, we're not. Just like Dylan said, somebody tell the stock market. Well, who are we to second guess the stock market, right? There's got to be some some explanation here, short of that things are horribly mispriced. We are st- the stock market, the S and P five hundred, is still above where it was just back in January. Um, it's not anything crazy yet. Let's zoom out here and go all the way back in time. May of last year is when we started at this level. Throughout the entire hiking cycle, basically, that the S&P 500 has been sideways. Of course, it has been volatile up and down, but it's at the same level that it was back in May at the beginning of this hiking cycle. I don't know. It just tells... All of these things just show me that the Fed really doesn't do anything. It's just a bunch of panic out there, a bunch of clickbaity headlines saying that everything is so bad. But we'll see. We'll see how this turns out. Okay, so that was those charts. Actually, let's look at oil real quick. Oil is bouncing a little bit today, but still sitting at $76 per barrel. Below the 50-day, below the 200-day, everything is looking bearish, bearish, bearish. And last one is the dollar. Dollar's breaking out, guys. We're, you know, if we close here, we're going to close at a new swing high on the DXY. So it's strengthening. I was looking actually this morning also at this one. Let me get these moving averages off. The Chinese yuan, and I'm going to share this one to Telegram. Remember when I was talking about yesterday on FedWatch, if you guys caught that, I was talking about a lot about China and why the reopening is kind of crazy and all of the kind of printing they're doing over there, all the credit expansion that they're doing with with a closed capital account and 
not, you know, nowhere for that printing to go. Uh, so I expected a devaluation, a significant one of the Chinese yuan versus the dollar. And we're starting, I think, to see that move right now. It's still under seven yuan to the dollar, but it's moving pretty hard today, this morning. And uh, this will probably continue. And that's going to drag a lot of other currencies along with it. Hong Kong dollar there. Let's take a look at Japanese yen. Pretty much the same picture on Japanese yen. Euro falling off a cliff. We're going to talk about that a little bit later when we talk about uh, what Tom Luongo has to say. And that's it, guys. That's it for the charts. Let's go on to Tom Luongo. So Tom here has a thread this morning, and I'll just read through it, and I'll post the charts to Telegram. Let me post this first one. Okay, so Tom says, more meltdown in the Eurodollar markets this morning as the U.S. inflation data on U.S. inflation data. These markets and the long end of the U.S. yield curve are hideously mispriced. There's a ton of information in this chart, but what he has uh, highlighted is the inversion now has moved to Q3. And what have I always said about Q3? Q3 is the most common time for a crisis uh, for a crisis, or even a stock market crash or anything like that. If you look back at all of history, uh, maybe the last 100 years when the stock market crashes have happened, uh, when financial crises have become the most acute, they almost without fail are in the third quarter at the end of the third quarter around September, October timeframe. Second only to that is March uh, or March is second to that. So what I'm expecting, what I've talked to people uh, on this stream and, you know, in DMs and, and other things about when I'm kind of expecting some sort of uh, crisis, the next crisis to happen. If we have something like the repo rumble in 2019, that's I'm still leaning towards this is going to be more of a financial problem in the plumbing of the system and not a huge recession. But we'll see. We'll see how that uh, will turn out. But I am also basically expecting this to happen around the end of Q3. And now the euro dollar futures are starting to come in line with that prediction. So we'll see how this develops. But let's read some more of Tom Luongo's uh, thread here. So he says, Secretary Yellen is selling twos and threes and buying tens and twenties. So those are the tenors of the treasury. So she's shifting from short to long in an operation twist type of thing here. So why? To make the 210 spread worse than it should be, but also to help the ECB protect U.S. German credit spreads. Really, who do you think she's really working for? The Fed could provide the markets, uh, the market tens if Yellen would back off. So no, the Fed can't provide the market with tens. The, mar the Fed doesn't sell treasuries. The Fed lets them roll off of their balance sheet. You know, they don't do that. But yeah, she Yellen is a globalist. So this would fit in with that idea that she's trying to protect the European project, basically. But I don't think this makes really any difference. Um, I, and I don't see any real evidence here provided. Like, let's see a balance sheet of what the Treasury is doing. This is just speculation, at least as far as I understand. 
but no, the, the 10 is not artificially suppressed here, guys. The, the, you know, the 10 being so far below the Fed funds range is not artificial. It's because people naturally go into safe and liquid assets. So that's where money flows to. That's where the demand comes from. People are expecting a recession. People are uh, around the world. They're, you know, sluggish demand. That's why we see oil prices so low, despite cutting of supply and war. We also, we still see, you know, there is war with the largest natural gas producer, I think is Russia or the U.S., uh, one or number one or number two. Plus, on top of that, they produce a whole crap ton of oil. And there's open warfare between NATO and Russia. And the price of oil is at 76. You know, that's because demand is so damn low. There's big time global recession happening right now. Now, is that recession in the United States? Depends how you define recession. I mean, we definitely have a bad economy right now. But is it technically a recession? I don't think it's I don't think so right now in the United States, but definitely in China, definitely in Europe, they're in recession right now. That's why there's so much demand for the U.S. 10 year. Anyway, let's continue. Uh, this is to support the fiction that the U.S. is headed for his, a historic default if we don't raise the debt ceiling. OK. We'll raise the debt ceiling. This is just more Treasury debt blackmail or sorry, Treasury Department blackmail of the Fed. Yellen is flying into coffin corner here. I don't know what that means. OK, so while Yellen and Lagarde keep try to keep Eurobond markets from blowing up, the euro collapses into a new whirlpool of U.S. dollar strength. But this is not unexpected. I've been expecting a stronger dollar because of X, Y, Z. But if you're not expecting a stronger dollar, then you start making false conclusions here. And what he's saying here is that the Yellen and Lagarde are pushing down the euro. And that means the dollar is strengthening. But that's not what's happening. No, no, no. The dollar is strengthening because there's a recession on in the world. People can't pay dollar-denominated debts. They're starting to get squeezed a little bit. And so people are short dollars. That's why they are, that's why the dollar is rising. It's very, very simple. And this was predicted. Meanwhile, Secretary Yellen thinks more sanctions are going to scare Russia or China into changing policy. And then he quotes here from Martin Armstrong. He really likes Martin Armstrong and uh, armstrongeconomics.com is what he writes. And he's the guy that he famously had some sort of algorithm or some, way to predict the market. And the CIA supposedly came and said, hey, we need to see your algorithm. And Martin Armstrong told him to shove it. And so then they put him in prison for a while. I mean, I don't believe in any of that stuff. So I don't really, I think that Martin Armstrong is kind of a, a shyster a little bit. But anyway, so uh, Martin, Martin Armstrong, he's saying that Biden administration, are they just completely brain dead? And Tom Luongo says, they aren't this stupid. This is policy, not incompetence. I've been saying this for over a year. It's good to know someone else finally agrees with me. And then he quotes from Martin Armstrong, and this is what he has to say. Far more about diplomacy than anyone in Biden administration. This suggests to me that this is deliberate. They just cannot be this stupid. 
They seem to be deliberately moving China and Russia together against the arrogant West in the same manner that resulted in the Peloponnesian War with Sparta taking down Athens for its arrogance. So, of course, the Peloponnesian War, he's starting to get in there the Thucydides trap, which I've debunked over and over. I think the confusion here, the choice here is not between being, well, I don't want to get into it too far, but Russia and China are coming together because they have a common enemy. And their common enemy, Washington slash NATO slash the EU, they are flailing. It's like a a drowning man, you know, will reach out at anything. So would you call a drowning man that reaches out and tries to drown their rescuer? Would you say they're stupid? Or would you say it's a finely crafted plan? No, they're panicked. They're not stupid. They're not smart. They're panicked. And that's exactly what we see here. And talking about the Peloponnesian War, like they're smart or something, this has nothing to do with Sparta and Athens at all. There's nothing at all similar to this. Okay, let's uh, go back to his thread here. Tom Luongo says, the rate, okay, the rate shock on the horizon in the next few months will be epic and into that storm. There needs to be an escalation of the kinetic war to cover it up. It's policy, folks, not a policy mistake. So it's not policy. It's not a policy mistake. It's panic. All right. So that's all I have for that. And the last thing I have here for Freeform Friday, which is kind of going off the rails a little bit, is this thing that happened in the UN. So the UN passes, I'm not super familiar with all the UN's ins and outs, okay? But they pass a lot of these non-binding resolutions all the time to sanction different people that they don't like. And uh, so they passed one this morning or yesterday calling for Russia to withdraw its forces and sue for peace <laughs> as if Russia's losing or something. I mean, I don't even know how they would do this. The The UN is totally disregarding the referendums that happened where all of these places, I mean, the Ukraine is invading Russia right now, not Russia invading Ukraine. That's over with. These places have voted to be part of Russia. And now Ukraine is invading Russia. And Russia is going to kick them out. Anyway, so the vote was 141 to 7 with 30-some abstaining from voting. And India was one of them. And this was a very interesting comment from the Indian representative about this resolution. So let's uh, listen to this. I'm going to rewind it. And make sure this comes through onto Restream. There we go. President India's approach to the Ukraine conflict will continue to be people-centric. We are providing both humanitarian assistance to Ukraine and economic support to some of our neighbors in the Global South under economic distress, even as they stare at the escalating costs of food, of fuel, and fertilizers, which has been a consequential fallout of the ongoing conflict. Mr. President, the overall objective of today's resolution, seeking a comprehensive, just, and lasting peace in line with the UN Charter is understandable. We also note the emphasis on increasing support by member states for diplomatic efforts to achieve peace, as well as support for the Secretary General's efforts to promote a comprehensive, just, and lasting peace in Ukraine. 
However, reports from the ground portray a complex scenario with the conflict intensifying on several fronts. Today, as the General Assembly marks a year of the Ukrainian conflict, all right, uh, I want you guys to listen to this particular part here. She's asking questions that need to be answered. And number three is the important one. I'll make sure to point it out. Conflict. It is important that we ask ourselves a few pertinent questions. Are we anywhere near a possible solution acceptable to both sides? Can any process that does not involve either of the two sides ever lead to a credible and meaningful solution? Has the UN system, and particularly its principal organ, the UN Security Council, based on a 1945 world construct, not been rendered ineffective? Boom, right there. Has the UN Security Council, that's based on a 1949 world construct, has it not been proven ineffective? This is exactly, and this is the most populous country in the world more populous than China. And they're saying, has the UN become obsolete? People are losing trust in international institutions and the UN being the big daddy of them all. The UN is used by these global Marxists the same way that everything else is. And people know it. India abstained from this vote, by the way. They did not vote. I think it was probably... China probably abstained too. I didn't see the list. But you're talking probably half the world's population abstained. So this is another sign that deglobalization is here to stay. The UN is losing, people are losing trust in the UN. They're using, losing trust in the WTO. They're losing trust in all of these international institutions. And how on God's earth is credit going to expand in that scenario? It's not. We're going towards a, a major deflationary shock here. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see. But that's that's all I wanted to play of that. And that's where I'm going to end it for today, guys. So thank you for joining me. Um, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com for all of my content. Also, subscribe to the podcast feed. You can find it in any podcast app. Just search for Bitcoin and Markets. I'm also in Fountain App. Uh, so you can find me there. Anyway, that's all I got for today, guys. Thanks for joining me. And I'll check you on the next one. Bye.